You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. E-S-N-Y. just a little after eight o'clock uh unfortunately my right hand man chip murphy could not be with us tonight he's a little bit sick so we'll send him some get well wishes uh but in the spirit of continuing our nba's a through z series we are up to the los angeles clippers i'm very excited to have uh lucas han on from 213 hoops the co-founder of the site a very talented uh clippers writer Lucas, thank you for giving us some of your time tonight. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm I'm glad that I was able to join you guys. Thanks or join you as it is. But uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, um, and we're we're trust me, we're we're pleased to have you. Um, the Clippers, uh, as we were saying a little bit before offline, are, are a very interesting franchise. Um, a lot of different transitions that they've made in all different levels of their organization, from ownership. Um, you know, not, maybe not so much front office, but from players, you know, expectations-wise, uh, they're definitely fun to watch for sure. Um, but whenever we bring on new writers and we talk about the teams that they cover or that they root for, uh, we always start at the same spot. And so kind of where I want to start this podcast is really just asking you specifically about your Clippers fandom. You know, how did that start? Um, how did you get involved in writing about the Clippers? You know, some writers will tell us, you know, it's essentially since birth, you know, was born into being a Knicks fan or a Lakers fan or something like that. Sometimes it's a different story. Sometimes the writer is a transplant. They move to a, a specific city or area and then kind of adopt that team. So kind of take us behind the curtain a little bit and just give a little, give us a little bit of insight into um, how you became a Clippers fan. Sure. Yeah. Um, so my parents actually are both from Phoenix and so they were both Suns fans and they moved out to LA. Uh, my dad moved out for graduate school and my mom moved out shortly after and they just, you know, basketball is their favorite sport growing up. Basketball was the sport that we always had on TV, not really big football or baseball people. And so, uh, they kind of became casual Lakers fans, I would say in the eighties and nineties in LA uh, not not real diehard, still had their Phoenix roots, but the Lakers were the team they were following. And then when I was young, we watched you know quite a bit of both teams. Um, I was just uh, you know I anytime basketball was on TV, I was watching it, whatever team was on. So we watched a lot of games from both teams. And then it was uh, when you know Kobe Bryant had the rape allegations in Denver, and a lot of that was going around on surrounding the Lakers. I was still quite young. 
Um, and so my mom, they were talking about it a lot on the broadcasts when it was happening, of course. And my mom was not, uh, not really happy with, uh, with Kobe and the Lakers and, and how things were going at the time. Right. And so that's when we kind of made the full switch to, okay, the Clippers are the team that we're watching all the time. We're not going to really watch the Lakers games anymore. And, you know, I was young enough then that, uh, you know, after a few years of that kind of just became ingrained in me. Um, and I would say by the time the Clippers were in the playoffs in 2006 with like Elton Brand and Corey Maggette, yeah. that I was, re- I was, that was really when I was in the full swing and it's kind of been no looking back since then. That's cool. Um, yeah. The, the Clippers have all, always had, you know, some interesting teams. Um, Elton Brand is a, uh, a, a New York guy. He's from Peekskill originally. So I'm a New York guy. So I know a little bit about Elton Brand always enjoyed you know, watching him play. And obviously mm-hmm. now he's, you know, an executive with the 76ers. Um, I think for the Clippers, you know, I was thinking a lot about this pod before we came on. And one of the things I thought, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't, um, when I had you on not to discuss, uh, was the entire situation surrounding the lifetime ban of Donald Sterling, um, due to his racist remarks. And I think, um, you know, we were talking about the new documentary that came out regarding that called Blackballed, um, directed by Michael Jacobs. There were some things that I was looking at uh, because there's, there's been so much written about the lifetime ban. And, um, you know, I think it's six years ago. And I forget whether it was last year or two years ago, um, Ramona Shelburne had come out with the, the tapes from a lot of those um, incidents as well. Um, And one thing that I saw that I don't know, and you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, that was previously reported was that DeAndre Jordan, you know, was talking to a lot of the players uh, pre, I think, game one um, regarding that first round series against the Warriors and was strongly considering not playing. Um, And then you kind of have Doc Rivers come in there and, and, you know, essentially say that, you know, I'm extremely mad about this, but we don't play for him. We play for each other. So, you know, what, I guess that's a long way of, of kind of like setting the backdrop for this. And, and I want to ask you just kind of, what are you, what's your first memory that stands out or comes to mind when you think about everything surrounding, um, Donald Sterling and the Clippers, the eventual transition to Steve Ballmer, like what, what really um, is highlighted for you about that time period? Yeah, I think, um, well, so it was, it was actually in the middle of the series that all of this started coming out. So I want to say it was before game five. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Right, and yeah, so they, right. so they were, they were already in a position where you're two, two deadlocked in a competitive series. And then this comes out and obviously um, the Clippers lose game five pretty majorly or they may have been up three one and lost five and six i actually don't recall but it was in the middle of the series that it came out and i remember i have a really vivid memory of um not being home during the adam silver press conference where he announced that certainly was banned for life and i remember watching it on my phone and like using all of my cell phone data for the month <laughs> because this is 2014. We don't have unlimited data yet. Right. Right. Um, right. Using all of my cell phone data for the month, watching that press conference to hear the band for life, uh, which was certainly, um, you know, I, I think it's maybe 
in the in the situation, certainly this was the justified action by Adam Silver getting Donald Sterling out of the league was good for the league, good for the Clippers to be certain. But it was one of those things for Clippers fans where Sterling had been around for so long. And, you know, if you just put the games on TV, you might not even know who the owner of the team is, right? Right. But for the people who really followed the team closely for an extended period of time, we all knew who Sterling was, and we all knew that he was the reason why the team was consistently bad. There's just no, you know, sometimes you get a good player or a couple good players at the same time. You get lucky in the draft. Sometimes you get a good, you know, a good group of guys together. You make the playoffs like they did in the early 90s, like they did in 2006. But it was never possible for them to have sustained success in the culture that Donald Sterling created for the team. And there was almost, I want to say, in the years leading up to this, kind of a defeatist attitude among the diehard Clippers fans that I knew that was sort of like, we're, there's just no way that we can ever be good because of Donald Sterling. And, you know, basically, like, we, you know, here's a, this guy, and it's, until he dies, because he's never going to sell the team, right? Until he dies, the Clippers are never going to be good. And so this kind of flurry where, he got exposed for his racism, which was not a isolated incident in yeah. this dude's life, right? Yep, um, yep. So he gets exposed for his racism, and then immediately he's gone, and it was almost like you couldn't even believe that. You know, that people talk about the Clippers' curse. Donald Sterling was the curse. Like that was he was the the cancer, the rot in the system, and to go from having no expectation that you would ever be free of it or ever have hope to snap the finger. Sterling's gone in just a few days was, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was just dramatic and drastic. Um, but probably better for the franchise, more celebration when Sterling was banned for life than when the Clippers won that game seven against the Warriors. Yeah. Because it was just such a weight that was lifted from the franchise when that, when he was gone. I think even um, even from a front office perspective, I, I remember reading one of the stories that came out about J.J. Redick where the Clippers were ready to offer mm-hmm. him a multi-year deal and Sterling is like, no, you know, like I don't, I don't want to give that much money to a white player. Um, and then Rivers reportedly comes in and, and says, listen, if, if we don't sign this guy, I'm out. And then they end up, I think, uh, being able to do the deal, but just, there's just so many little stories surrounding him. It's so hard to fathom um, how someone like that stays in power for so long, but um, not 100% surprising. Yeah. And um, it, 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 it obviously speaks volumes to see where they are as a franchise now, um, you know, with Steve Ballmer as the new owner. A very also a very visible um, person on the on the sidelines, and I think in the NBA community as well. Uh, and I think that's probably a good place for us to transition to um, the current state of the Clippers. Uh, as I'm sure you know, as a as a fan and a writer for you, this this must be great. Um, you know, the even the Chris Paul Blake Griffin era transitioning into what is now. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, you know, one of the premier, um, if not the best duo in the NBA, 
one of the questions as we look forward to a restart that I wanted to ask you, and it's a it's 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 more of a smaller one, but something that in previous um, in previous pods that we've talked about with the restart that I'm 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 interested. So the the rosters may or or most like most likely will expand to 17 players. So are there guys that you personally have in mind that you would like the Clippers to add? Uh, you know, just looking at their roster, it's obviously very top heavy. You know, and even if you don't have a player in mind specifically, you know, maybe a position that you feel is is of need, who would you like them to kind of bring into the squad uh, as we look forward to a restart? Yeah, I think I think they have the answer to that question. I think is um, Joachim Noah, who's a guy who they already have, right? Who they went and got on a they ten day on a ten day, ne- right? Never actually got the chance to play in a game. They got got him on that ten day right when. Um, when the season was suspended. But what's interesting about Noah is part of the reason why he waited so long to come into the league this season and why the Clippers waited so long to sign him to that 10 day and why it was only a 10 day at the time is because he was, he's coming off of an injury um, from last off season when he was training. And now he's, so you were at the point in March where you're thinking, okay, well he's able to play now. He's still working his way back into fitness let's see if he still has any of what he had earlier in his career. Right. But now he's had several more months of training and recovery time. And so you would imagine that however good Noah can be again, that's what he'll be now. Right. Like that, you know, this is, this is kind of it for him. Yeah. And whereas in the spring you might think, okay, well maybe he's still not fully healthy. Right. But I think he brings exactly what the Clippers need, which is, you know they are def- they definitely do have a top heavy team but they have a lot of weapons that give them versatility from the ability to bring in another ball handler like uh, Lou Williams who can cre- create his own shot at very high efficiency bring in a uh, play small and bring in Landry Shamit at guard play big by putting in Marcus Morris or Jamichael Green or Jamichael Green at the 4 or even playing Jamichael Green at, at the, the 5, five yeah. and having a lot of switchability on that lineup right but where there where there's questions is at center because Zubots has had a phenomenal year, um, and I I will vouch fully having watched the Clippers all season that Zubots is a legitimately good starting center in the NBA, and he's only 22 years old. But you have to wonder wonder if he's quite ready for the big moments in the playoffs. And what makes that perilous for the Clippers right now is that Montrez Harrell is almost like a specialist as a backup center where he's a very good scorer, very good, you know, with um, his pace, with rolling to the rim, finishing around the basket, but not a very good defender has pretty poor positioning defensively is undersized, isn't a good rebounder. So he's not really a guy who you can rely on as a sturdy option to close games with. And I think Noah gives the Clippers the best that they were going to get of another guy who Doc Rivers might be able to say, okay, here's someone who I feel like I can trust anchoring a defensive possession down the stretch of a big game. I think uh, the, the point that you bring up um, regarding the center depth is is well taken for sure, especially when you consider, I think, when, when you have teams that are in um, consistent, being consistent contenders, you do start to kind of like tailor your uh, roster moves sometimes with the opposition in mind, right? And and I think 
knowing that just on the other side, it, um, you know, in, in terms of LA, you have Anthony Davis, um, you know, being able to have a center that is more defensive minded uh, than, than Zubats, obviously, is, is going to be something that come playoff time is, is going to be huge for the Clippers. Um, as a Knicks fan, you know, that, that has watched Joakim Noah, unfortunately, you know, deteriorate. Oh, yeah. um, I'm, 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 I'm pulling for him. You know, I, I, you know, regretfully so, liked the signing at the time, hated the money, but I, I love Joakim Noah as a player, regardless of, you know, the lack of skill that he has in certain areas of his game. I always loved his fire, his intensity. I think he's a, a great passer, you know, specifically out of the elbow. He's an amazing defensive communicator, um, understands defensive schemes really well, decent uh, screener. So I think adding him, you know, uh, to solidify, you know, some of that front court depth um, is definitely going to be big for the Clippers. It's, it's just going to be, you know, hopefully he can stay healthy. Obviously, this time off is going to be good for that. Um, but I'm, I'm very interested to see how he factors into the rotation you know, kind of as we get to the restart and certainly in the playoffs for sure. Yeah, definitely. And and I think it's going to, at that center rotation, it'll really come down to potentially matchups because it, it's tricky to play to play three guys at one position. Yeah. You know, it can, it can be hard to find the minutes balance there. And especially with Trez leading the free agency and then potentially, you know, Doc also likes to play small when he can potentially give Morris and Green minutes at center. So how he it's going to be interesting to see how he finds that balance of potentially getting Noah some burn at center and using him in situations where it will help the team without taking too much away from guys like Zubats and Harrell who are potentially more important long-term pieces for the club. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the, the next question that, um, I kind of want to hit you with here is uh, another one that is somewhat Knicks related. Um, you know, both Chip and I are big Knicks fans, and you mm -hmm. know, we obviously saw uh, Marcus Morris have a very, very good, you know, first half of the season for the Knicks. Um, traded into the Clippers, and you know, I was just looking over his stats. I knew he struggled with you guys, but I'm just looking over the stats, and in 12 games to have, you know, just under 10 points per game. I think 28% from three. Um, you know, for for sure, in terms of the production that you guys thought you would get from him, it's it's been different. Um, what do you see as the main reasons for his struggles? Is it he just needs time to acclimate to a new team? Is Doc maybe not using him correctly um, rotations wise? The the players that he's playing with, I think he was initially ins inserted into the starting lineup, if I'm not correct. Um, mm -hmm. But what do you see kind of going on there? Yeah, I think it has, you know, I, I wouldn't, I'm not too concerned, I'll say, about those 12 games uh, with the Clippers where he definitely wasn't doing great in those 12 games. But I think he just put it down to not only switching to a new team and having to get acclimated to that team and that team needing to get acclimated to him, but also needing to get acclimated to a new role, right? right. Because yeah. what he was doing for the Knicks was very, you know, first option, ball in his hands a lot, getting a lot of shots, scoring a lot of points. So for the Clippers, like him scoring 10 points a game for the Clippers is totally reasonable because yeah. of the amount of shots and touches that he's going to get. He just needs to do it a little more efficiently than he was. 
But I think that that number that uh, you mentioned, that he's shooting just 28% from three, even though he's getting a lot of, got or got a lot of good attempts in those 12 games with the Clippers, that to me just screams outlier, right? For a guy who, you know, just like his first half of the season in New York was probably a little bit of an outlier as yeah. well. Like his efficiency was so high compared to his career. I, I'm not really worried that Marcus Morris is a guy who's going to shoot 28% from three over a full-length season. That just doesn't seem likely to me with, with who he is and who he's been in his career. So I expect that coming into the playoffs, especially you know, getting a chance to have a full training camp is actually a blessing for teams like the Clippers who made these midseason acquisitions. A guy like Reggie Jackson, who's also been a big contributor, and we already mentioned Joachim Noah. So... Yeah, I, I think he, he'll be fine. I think the biggest thing about his struggle with the Clippers is probably just sample size while he's making some adjustments. Yeah, I think uh, I think the, the 28% mark, um, I, 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 do, I do see that as, as an outlier. I also think it screams, you know, just, just lack of rhythm too. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you're a shooter and you're hot um, and you are used to getting the ball in certain places and a certain amount of touches – there's no question that given a limited role um, and maybe having to play from other spots on the court that he's not used to, um, because if he's sharing the court with PG and Kawhi, um, you know, that that's yeah. it's going to be different. So I, I, I do agree with you. I mean, I, I liked Morris a lot. Uh, he was by far, you know, one of the biggest leaders on the team. Um, and so I do think that it, it was a good pickup and – at the end of the day, you didn't trade for him for the season. It's for the playoffs. And yeah. I you know, I have a pretty strong gut feeling that you guys will get a nice return on that uh, during that time for sure. Yeah, and I can see his role being, you know, obviously there's those lineups where you're playing PG at the two, Kawhi at the three, Morris at the four, and that's really versatile. All three of them are good defenders. You can switch pretty much anything across those three guys. But I also see him as giving the Clippers another kind of wing forward option who is a good defender and a good scorer, which, you know, that was the, the downside of Mo Harkless is that he just get was getting left alone yeah, uh, and missing open threes, right? Yeah. In New York too. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and he, he get, I think Morris gives the Clippers a guy where they can say, okay, well, when we sit PG down, here's another wing that we can play next to Kawhi. We've always, we're always going to have two good two-way wings on the floor between Morris, Kawhi, and PG. And then maybe maybe to close games, you might play a guy like Landry Shamit instead, who's more of a sharpshooter to space the floor and play smaller with Kawhi and PG. There's a lot of different options. But yeah, I think that's, that's really what he gives them um, is just a really solid... Because the other guy that they had playing in those minutes besides Harkless was Rodney McGruder, who uh, really, really has been... Uh, bad for the Clippers this year. Just really has not not really NBA quality play for Magruder after uh, being a, a guy that was pretty well regarded in Miami. So just giving someone the Clippers know, like here's a guy who can play, who we can trust to play minutes at these positions, hit shots, play defense. Morris is going to be a really dependable guy for them. As someone who's watched um, the kind of uh, you know the the first year in the Paul George Kawhi Leonard partnership. Um, we know that PG has not been 
the PG of old. We know he's he's still struggling a little bit with some ailments. Um, what have you liked about their chemistry on the court? Uh, where do you think it needs to improve? Like, have you seen the record? Obviously, speaks for itself. You know, the Clippers are a great team, but do you have you seen a seamless fit with the two of them and kind of the rest of the players uh, in the rotation? Or, or do you see areas where there's there's still room to grow? Yeah, I think there's definitely room to grow. I think that these are two guys who, maybe unlike some other superstar pairings that we've seen, PG and Kawhi don't necessarily have complementary games. Right. Right. They don't. It's really easy to see LeBron and Anthony Davis, or like to think about LeBron and Anthony Davis before they ever play together, and go, "Yeah, I can see how these guys are going to play off of each other beautifully." Yeah. Right. PG and Kawhi more coexist. Um, I think it's more functional than say like the Russell Westbrook Kevin Durant coexistence because you know of some of Westbrook's tendencies that that are less desirable. Right. But I don't think that that there's ever going to be a, an amazing mesh between PG and Kawhi where we're like, yeah, these guys are both better because they're on the floor with each other. But I think they're both good enough that they don't necessarily have to be better on the floor with each other for the team to win a championship, right? And what you have to look for then is how they lift up the members of the supporting cast around them and how the members of the supporting cast can help accentuate them. So that's where a guy like Patrick Beverly, I think, has been huge for the Clippers, is going to keep being huge for the Clippers, because he's a guy who... PG and Kawhi are both really good defenders, but you don't necessarily want them expending all of their energy on that end. Right. Patrick Beverly gives you a guy who's going to expend all his energy on that end, bring the ball up, start the offense, dump it off to one of the um, better offensive players, and hit open threes at a high clip. Patrick Beverly makes PG and Kawhi better. He's a good point guard for them, right? What I think they need, and Kawhi has done this this year and PG hasn't, is playing in a system without a point guard who's going to be creating the offense for them. These two guys both need to step up their own creation in ways that they haven't had to do in their careers before. And Kawhi has done this. Kawhi's averaging five assists a game, second on the team, which is by far the most in his career. Yeah. Uh, he he has two, he had two 10 assist games this year. He had a triple double, first triple double ever, right? PG has struggled a lot more. Uh, you, you put Paul George in pick and roll situations. He gets a lot of turnovers trying to throw bounce passes into traffic. I think that that's, kind of an area that he probably needs to clean up because then the Clippers offense will run a little more seamlessly without them having to turn to Lou Williams. Right now, Lou Williams is the closest thing to a pass first point guard the Clippers have. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously Lou is a good creator, but he's a score first guy for sure. So I think to make up for that lack of a pass first point guard, that's kind of an area where, where Paul George is the guy who maybe has a step up to take and help with that creation. As um, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, and it's just, it, I think the, the thing that you said that stood out to me the most is that they, they coexist. And I think it, it doesn't, because when, they, they're, when they're on the team together and you think about their skill sets, they're extremely very similar players, right? Like all the buzzwords that surround them. Two-way player, um, versatile wing, you know, can score and defend. So the reason, it, it, the reason that they're... I guess on the surface level, kind of like wonky fit 
doesn't really hurt them is because they're they're both players that don't have similar weaknesses. I mean, like maybe the creation is one, but they're not bad defenders. So it's not yeah. like pairing, you know, players that well they're both elite scorers, but one is just an, a horrible player that teams just attack in the pick and roll. You can't do that with Kawhi and mm-hmm. Paul George. Um, but I, I do think it'll be interesting to see how they develop going forward and how the team kind of builds around them. Um, man, you would love, and, and I love me some Pat Beverly, but if, if you can somehow figure out to find one of those, um, you know, almost Rubio-type players, and I'm, yeah. you know, I'm not necessarily putting his name out there because I think he's like an elite point guard, but someone who legitimately, his his game is setting the table for others, keeps his dribble alive, understands the way that players move on the court around him and understands spacing, um, that could be really a big key, I think, uh, towards, you know, kind of unlocking maybe uh, that next level of their offense. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, that's, if there's one team problem that Clippers have this have had this season, it's they get into these stagnant offensive stretches where they're not creating good looks because, their offensive players with the highest usage rates, Lou, um, PG, Kawhi, Trez, are all players who look for their own more than they look for others. Right. And I think if we're going to talk about, like, I, you're right when you say these are, this isn't a situation like, you know, oh, well, you can pick on one of them defensively or anything like that. But maybe the weakness here with how they fit together is that they both need the ball a lot and neither of them creates a lot for others. And so I wonder if you bring in a guy like Rubio or another guy, not to limit our scope to European point guards, but a guy whose name was in trade rumors this year, Goran Dragic Mm -hmm. is someone who who Mm -hmm. I was thinking of around the deadline. If you bring in a guy like that, I wonder if the ball gets to PG and Kawhi each enough with a guy like Dragic or Rubio having the ball in their hands so often. Maybe, maybe not, right? And then the trade-off, of course, is you can, we can talk about the things that, that a guy like Rubio does that Patrick Beverly can't do, but there's also a lot of things that Patrick Beverly does that Ricky Rubio can't do. Absolutely. And I think I, think I fall on the side of if the Clippers went and got a player like like Rubio or Dragic, I think they would miss Pat more than they would appreciate what the other guy brought. He's part but of the I, culture too. I mean, he's yeah. he is definitely a part of that uh, tough, you know, defensive side, and especially when you have Doc Rivers as a coach. So I I, I agree with you. I could I could definitely see them missing him more than than appreciating oh. somebody else. But I think you know another similar to what we were talking about with the Clippers at center where. What Zubots doesn't necessarily bring you, you're not getting it all from your backup in Trez either. The Clippers' backup point guard is really Lou Williams. Yeah, you know they're they're not playing Lou at the shooting guard this year. He's he's mostly playing backup point guard, and so Lou is an amazing bench scorer. Lou, I love Lou Williams. I have a Lou Williams jersey. I love he's, I love Sweet Lou too. He's not a guy who you say, okay, we can plug him in at starting point guard Yeah, in a playoff series. It just doesn't work. So that's another weakness for the Clippers where, you know, they actually sort of addressed this. They got Reggie Jackson on a buyout deal, and Reggie Jackson was great in, I think, nine games for the Clippers before the season was suspended, kind of playing in that role where 
he was able to come off the bench as the point guard and you know Reggie's Reggie's not Ricky Rubio, right? He's not he's not Goran Dragic, but he's a guy who's played a bunch of NBA point guard. He knows how to run a team. He might not be the best in the world at it, but he's a really really solid NBA point guard. And having a guy like that who can just come in and sort of bring that steady hand and look, you know, be used to looking for others in that way really really helped the Clippers. The twist there is that They've got Lou Williams and Landry Shamit on the bench. Mm-hmm. And so now you're kind of small with a three-guard bench lineup. But I expect in the playoffs, all of those guys will play. I think Jackson, Williams, and Shamit will all play off the bench, probably at the expense of like Rodney McGruder. Right. And that's where having that size from Marcus Morris playing at the three and the four can help offset it a little bit. Um, you mentioned Montrez Harrell. And for me... Uh, he becomes a very interesting player this offseason because mm-hmm. you know he'll be a free agent. And I was looking a little bit at the Clippers' salary cap, and it looks like if all of the player options um, and the free agents don't come back, everything is wiped off. They'll they'll have around 114 million committed in salaries, which is pretty high, right? Uh, they do have Harold's bird rights, so they can go above the cap to sign him. Um, what do you think is a number? that the Clips will commit to Harrell. Um, I'm assuming they will try and sign him because he is a really good versatile big in a league uh, where versatile bigs um, you know, are coveted. Um, what do you think is a number that you know, they, will, they will say, okay, this is kind of like our line. I saw some reports online saying you know, five years, 90. Um, do you do you think there's a number where the Clips will just have to say, "Listen, we just can't, we can't do this," or how do you see that playing out? Yeah, this is a really interesting question, and this is something that you know in the Clippers sphere we've been talking about, you know, all year. A wrench gets kind of thrown in everything by the season suspension because what's going to happen is uh, revenue is going to be down more than six percent, which allows the league to um, like freeze and lower the salary cap. Okay. So where we would normally expect, you know, the annual modest increase in the salary cap that tends to come every year, except for the year that Kevin Durant joined the Warriors, but every other year we get little increases, right? We're probably going to have a medium sized drop this year to next year. So it's hard without knowing the details of that to know exactly what the Clippers situation is going to be, but also what the market is going to be for a guy like Trez to potentially go get money from someone else. Right. Because there was talk earlier in the year that Trez could get 20 million plus a year from maybe a team like Atlanta that is going to have a lot of money need to bring in some talent, some scoring. Right. Now the question is, okay, well maybe he's only at like 15 a year, 16 a year, 18 a year. Like you said, I think as long as you're in the teens, the Clippers are talking. Yeah, you know. Um, another thing to consider that I think actually is probably going to end up being the most important factor in how this Trez Clippers thing plays out is how the margins go elsewhere for them. In terms of, you know, Jamichael Green's got a five million dollar player option. Yep. Does he opt in or does he opt out? Yep. Uh, Marcus Morris they can resign for up to eighteen million. 
what number does Morris come in at, right? If he starts at 12 million versus if he starts at 18 million, that's a big difference for them because they're going to be right near that luxury tax threshold when everything is said and done. And if the margins play out right, where the cap doesn't drop too much and they get a good price on Morris and maybe Jermichael Green opts out, the Clippers could find themselves in a situation where they are choosing between using Trez's bird rights and then having the taxpayer mid-level exception of like $6 million to go after another player or using the full mid-level exception of like $10 million. So you reach a point where you can ask yourself, you know, you can draw up a hypothetical scenario where the Clippers are choosing between matching someone's four-year $80 million contract for Montrez Harrell to try to keep him or going and using their mid-level exception on maybe a guy like Serge Ibaka, who okay. might actually help you win the 2021 championship more than a guy like Montrez Harrell would, right? Because of what he brings uh, defensively and with his spacing. So I think that's, that's going to be the key thing is if the Clippers are in a position to have their full mid-level exception if Trez walks, that gives them a lot of leverage to look at other options with that mid-level exception, $10 million to go get another a replacement backup center without investing too much in a guy like Trez. If the Clippers are not in a position to have that $10 million, their leverage gets drastically reduced because you're not going to be able to go find an, an adequate replacement. And so now you're just talking about letting talent walk out the door during a championship window, which you wouldn't do, right? Which we see... You know, the Cavs were in a situation with like Tristan Thompson with, with contracts like this, J.R. Smith, right? So if the Clippers are in a situation to have that mid-level exception, I could see them exploring their options a little bit more. If they're not, you almost have to pay Trez, even if right. it is four years, $80 million, because how are you going to turn around from, you know, whatever happens this year, potentially, especially if they don't win the championship this year, you've got one more year guaranteed with PG and Kawhi. There's no way you let a talented player walk out the door for nothing because you were worried about the third and fourth year of his contract. There's just no way. No, I think that's a good point. And, and uh, again, similar to Beverly, uh, he means so much to that team. And I, I personally would like to see him stay, stay with the Clippers just because, uh, you know, as a fan of the NBA that's seen um, his star rise and specifically there, um, you know, I think, Teams being able to hold on to those players, you know, for the right price is always a good thing. Um, but, you know, you mentioned also uh, the possibilities of how this season could end. And I kind of think that's one of the, the last places I want to finish here. It's kind of like a two-pronged question. So uh, I'm a big Doc Rivers fan. Chip, my, my co-host, is as well. Um Although, I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't watched a ton of Clippers games this year. Uh, Doc always seems to have a very strong pulse on the locker room, his players. You really don't ever hear um, too much negative press about him. But as I've said before, I'm not a Clippers fan. You know, the different uh, areas like Clippers Reddit, you know, the various team Reddits, there's always people that feel that, you know... Uh, there's weaknesses and whatnot. Um, what, if any, weaknesses as a coach or areas do you feel that Doc can improve um, 
And then the, the last piece of this is, you know, we're, we're all looking forward to what could potentially be an amazing seven-game series in the playoffs uh, between the Lakers and the Clippers. I know that they can win, but will they? And if they do, what do you think puts them over the top? Yeah, okay. So so on the Doc question, I'm also a, a Doc Rivers fan. I think Doc Rivers, you know, Doc Rivers in many ways led the Clippers from the Sterling Nightmare through yes. the Lob City turmoil to today. And, you know, not that he was perfect during that time, but he's the, the you know, face of the franchise in many ways. And, uh, but, but there are criticisms to be made of him to be certain, and I've levied a few of them myself. And I think one weakness that Doc really has, you mentioned that his strength is really knowing what's going on in the locker room, having the buy-in from his players, right? I think his weakness is the way that he manages his rotations, where uh, he oftentimes over-relies on guys who he deems as trustworthy, even if they aren't necessarily good, right? So uh, this happened with you know Jamal Crawford and Paul Pierce when they were both on the Clippers in the waning years of their careers, where the efficiency was through the floor and they were getting toasted defensively, but Doc felt like he knew what he was getting from them. Yeah, you know they weren't going to make big mistakes. They 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 might not have they might get beat every possession, but they're not going to be out of position. They're just going to be a step slow, right? So he over relies on these guys. He tends to also go with um, all bench lineups, and so he'll bring all of his good players out of the game at the same time. Uh, That's why I think the Clippers have had such success with six men like Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams over the years because they're really suited to a coach like Doc who doesn't stagger his stars and kind of lets that sixth man just put up shots every possession with the second unit. Hmm. But, you know, there's there's struggles there because the team would be better if one of PG or Kawhi was always on the floor, right? And oftentimes both are off and then the Clippers are weak on the wings. I would hope that those problems would be mitigated later in a playoff series because your best guys are just playing so many minutes. You might not even be playing 10 guys at all. So, you know, that that's probably more of a regular season problem. And I think at times Doc is making some of these choices with chemistry and locker room and buy-in trade-offs in his mind. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, myself watching from either home or, or the press row can only think about, who maybe fits better in that lineup for those that four minute stretch? And Doc has a lot more perspective on what's going on in the locker room, so I'm willing to to be flexible on that. Um, on the question of the Lakers series, I think the Clippers would win in a series against the Lakers. I do, um, but uh, to be certain, I think the Lakers are. I think whether the Clippers or the Lakers win in the Western Conference Finals, I think that that will be a more challenging series than the finals. I think that that's really the finals are the Western Conference Finals this year in a way. Um, now, of course, Milwaukee or whoever else comes out of the East is going to have a shot to win, to be sure. But whoever comes out of the West is going to be the heavy favorite, I believe. And I think what the Clippers have is just they have a versatility with their perimeter players that the Lakers don't in a way that you look at there's almost no good answer to who's going to be playing point guard for the Lakers on a given night, right? Are you going to, are you going to run with Rondo? Are you going to run with Bradley? Are you going to run with Caruso? The Clippers are going to shred them no matter what they do. 
And what the Clippers have the ability to do is go small because the Clippers aren't majorly invested in centers, right? So where the Lakers, in my opinion, what makes the Lakers like kind of their X factor is what they get from JaVale and Dwight at center with the length and the rim running, running the floor, diving to the rim on pick and rolls, blocking shots, grabbing rebounds. That allows Anthony Davis to roam the floor wherever he pleases. And then when you've got Anthony Davis playing the four and LeBron playing the three and Danny Green playing the two, the length and defense through that lineup is absurd. Yeah. But the Clippers can play shooting in a way that they can try to play those guys off the floor. And the Lakers against the Clippers often try to play Anthony Davis at the five so that they can play LeBron at the four. And that stretches the Lakers thin because not only does it take off that interior defensive length that is one of their best attributes as a team, but it forces them to play more of their perimeter guys. And my feeling is that whoever the Lakers turn to beyond Danny Green, the Clippers are happy to see on the floor. In a right. They're, they're at a significant disadvantage in that, yeah. in that area. I would definitely agree. Yeah. I mean, like if, you know, Kyle Kuzma is a nice prospect and whatever, but if Kyle Kuzma is coming out onto the floor in the fourth quarter of game seven of the Western conference finals, like whoever the Clippers have out there is thrilled to be matched up against them. Yes. Paul George, Kawhi, Morris, doesn't matter. That's, you're, the Clippers are going to kill it there. Avery Bradley comes out on the floor. Patrick Beverly is going to take his lunch for seven games. Right. You know what I mean? So that's an area where, where I think the Clippers can just out-talent them. No, definitely. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, I know um, – I'm sure you But LeBron this. is LeBron. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that listen, that's true. And I know that the Lakers were – um, again, another, you know, rough consequence of the, of the shutdown, the Lakers were really rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were, they were in a nice groove. And, uh, the one thing though, is I, I do think veteran teams in general will fare a little bit better when the restart does happen, just in terms yeah. of chemistry issues, you obviously have to worry about injuries and keeping players healthy, but no question about it. It will be absolutely, um, amazing to watch. And, uh, I think that's, that's probably going to do it. For us here, uh, Lucas, before I get you out of here, uh, I want to give you a chance to plug anything that you're working on. Um, tell the to good folks out there where they can find, uh, you know, your contact, your content, two one three hoops. Um, anything you know that that you uh, want to promote? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, so the blog, like you said, is two one three hoops.com. The Twitter is just at two one three hoops, and then you know my Twitter is on there as well. Um, and our podcast, if you want to hear us talking more about the Clippers, is called the Lob the Jam the Podcast. You can find that, you know, wherever you find wherever you find your podcast. If it's on you know, Spotify or iTunes or, or whatever you use, it's it's everywhere. Awesome, awesome, sounds good, man. Well, listen, Lucas, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on and, and talk Clippers. Uh, this was great for me, someone who likes the Clippers from afar but didn't watch a whole lot of uh, their games this year. It was good to to speak with someone, and I, I, you're you're credentialed for them as well. Yeah, I don't I don't live in LA, but um, I'm normally in LA for a few games a year. That's cool. That's that's very very cool. Um, so yeah, uh, very informative for me. Uh, you know, just as a fan, um, I'm hoping the listeners will. I'm sure they'll feel the the same way as well. Um, so once again, man, thank you for coming on. 
Uh, and for everybody else out there, uh, Chip and I will be back hopefully before the end of this week uh, with a, another redraft pod um, or kind of the, the next in our series of going through the NBA A through Z. Uh, so with that said, uh, we will talk to you guys soon.